0: Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome to you to this evening's service. And uh, as we work through this passage of Scripture tonight, uh, there's a couple of things which I think we should keep front of mind as we look at what goes on here. The first is the reason for Peter actually writing this letter. He's gravely concerned about the influence of some of the false teachers that have infiltrated the church at that time. And these are people who who appear to be believers, but if they're examined carefully, it would be clear how they are living, the things they promote, the things that they say are counter to God's clear teaching and will. And this isn't just about theology. This is also about morality. There are people who justify their ungodly wrong actions as being righteous And Peter wants to not only warn his readers about these people, but he also wants to teach them or remind them to keep circling back to the basics of their faith, to establish the foundations again, those foundational truths of faith, in order to not only be able to stand against these false teachers, but also in order for them to thrive as a people of God. What should cause us to pay particular attention to what Peter says in his entire message is the fact that Peter will soon pass from this life. He is facing death. He knows that he will soon be killed. So like all deathbed requests or confessions, that fact alone should lend weight to the importance and value of what Peter actually says. A man who faithfully served Jesus. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, thank you so much for the truth and reality of your word. Thank you that we have it so readily available to us in this country. And Lord, now as we approach this passage of scripture in Second Peter, I just pray, Lord, that you'll open our hearts and minds to what you want to say to us as individuals. I pray, Lord, that we will listen to your voice, that we will listen to promptings of Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, there'll be something that draws us closer to you, that calls us to change. And the Lord would be willing to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe first and foremost, Peter wants his readers to remember the basics. And as we begin to look at tonight's message, it's possibly interesting or worth recapping on what Peter has said previously because it does tie together and 12 to 21 flows from what has already been said. And in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1, Peter tells us or reminds us that God from his divine nature, a nature which includes power, glory, excellence, righteousness, justness, goodness, compassion and so many other attributes. Out of his divine nature, God has given us or provided us all things, everything that is necessary for life and godliness. He alone has given us faith. Grace, peace, knowledge. He's provided us his word and his promises. He's provided us power, power to overcome this body of flesh and the temptations that will come our way as we continue to live in the flesh. And he's provided everything required for our salvation and for our ongoing sanctification and for a life that is complete in him. And because of God's great provision, Peter calls us as all believers in verses 5 to 7, all Christians, to pursue a life committed fully to the Lord Jesus Christ, a life of true discipleship. We are to seek to be holy and with God's help, becoming more faithful, more moral, more knowledgeable of the things of him, more able to be self-controlled, more willing to persevere, excelling in godliness brotherly love and kindness we should do this because we pursue holiness which is provided by god then we will be useful for his kingdom if we do each of us are assured in verses 8 to 11 that if we pursue holiness then we will not only be that sorry we will not be that which so many of us dread as christians unfruitful blind to sin forgetful of all god has done but if we're pursuing God, if we're pursuing holiness, that ensures and assures us of an entry into glory. And recently we heard the saddening news that Ravi Zacharias had passed. And I have no doubt that he recently experienced that entry into glory, where he stood in the very presence of God, was face to face with his Saviour for the first time, and heard those words Well done, good and faithful servant. And this is what we should all desire, to hear those words from our Lord and Saviour because we have lived for him. And then we come to this first verse that we're studying this evening, verse 12 of 2 Peter. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And I'm not sure what you're thinking about with Peter's motivation in reminding his readers of these things. But it's really quite simple. Verse 12 starts with a therefore. And some translations actually have for this reason. And what is being emphasized is that prior to this, Peter has spoken about the promise to all believers. The promise of our, our inclusion and entry into the everlasting kingdom. And Peter's desire is that his readers will always remember this. That they will focus on on that which really matters, that their actions, their choices and their lives will be such that the believers hope and assurance of that life with Christ will drive them to do all they can to know Christ and believe in him, to get to know him more and more each and every day. And Peter gives the impression that he would be negligent. It would be foolish of him if he did not express proper care for these believers by telling them of these truths, reminding them of these truths even though they know them, even though they are established in them. And this word that is translated established is very interesting in this part. The word that is translated there was used once before in referring to Peter himself. If we go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 32, we read, uh, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers now this is where jesus foretells peter's denial and he's saying to him even back then when you have turned when you have returned to me strengthen your brothers and what's interesting here is the word that is translated strengthened in luke 22:32 is the same word translated established in the passage we're looking at this evening and so Peter was commanded by Jesus, before he denied knowing him, that when he returns to Jesus, he is to strengthen the brothers. And that's exactly what he's doing. Peter's words in 2 Peter 1.12 are a fulfilling of Jesus' command to him back in Luke 22.32. He desired to establish and strengthen the faith of all believers who were reading this letter And he believes the way of doing that is to remind us again of the basics of the Christian faith. We should take this to heart and appreciate when we are called to revisit the foundations of our faith, that there is a purpose and a reason in doing so. And so Peter says in verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of a reminder And Peter says it's right for him to do this, not only because it is what Jesus has commanded him to do, but also because of what is at stake. This guy is about to step from this world into the next. He's about to cross the threshold of death. He's about to come face to face with his Lord and Saviour. And I believe at this time, his focus has totally shifted from the things of this world, the elementary things that the world has to offer. And he's focused fully upon that which is eternal. And as he looks upon those things, he's saying, if there's one thing you need to know, if there's one thing I can leave with you, this is it. Establish yourself in the faith. Peter wants them to be established in the faith. He wants us to be established in the faith because he knows that if he can stir them up, if he can inspire them to pursue God, God's will, God's purposes, then the church will be a place that has this zeal and fervency for the things of God. His call for every believer is to develop and lead a godly life. And when every believer is determined to do this, then the church will be a people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people devoted to the will and purpose of God. And they will consistently and constantly be stirred up to fulfill God's call upon his people. We, as the church of God, will be a people who are stirred up. We will be stirred up to be all God intends us to be. We will fulfill the commission that he has given to us and we will have our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus Christ just as Peter did when he wrote this letter. And Peter has no qualms or doubts about doing this, about revisiting these early teachings and doing it again and again. And we should not have any qualms about doing the same thing. It is right. He told us in verse 12 that he will always remind them And it's clear that he intends to keep on doing so as long as he is in this body, even with his dying breath, if that's what it takes. But he also believes it's more than that. Verse 15 says, And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is again emphasizing his approaching death and he makes it clear that he's going to do all that he can to ensure that even after he's gone, his words will remind them of the foundations of faith. And no doubt he's calling them to remember what he says, to put that in practice and to reflect on what he says. But here we are. More than 2,000 years later, doing exactly what he says he wants to do. We're being reminded by Peter to remember the basics of our faith and to remind each other to do that and to stir each other up to greater commitment as a result of that. But it's not only about that. Peter wants us to be assured of our faith. And so he reflects on all he has taught all he has said and as he told us back in verse 12 that the faith they have is founded on and established in truth now he wants to emphasize the reality of that truth and in knowing that we can be assured that what is said in God's word is his word and we can depend on it and so there's two things that Peter wants to emphasize here verse 16 he says for we did not follow cleverly devised myths When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Everything Peter has taught about Jesus is based on his own experience and what he has actually seen in Jesus himself, how he encountered Christ. None of this is made up. And he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses to Jesus' majesty, his power and his glory. When we think about the day when Peter actually wrote this account, uh, there were many other Greek and Roman uh, religions which relied on fables and myths that were handed down from generation to generation. But the Christian faith, the New Testament, is an account based on what people actually saw. And Peter mentions a little of the many things that they actually witnessed in verses 17 to 18. And Peter, along with the others, heard God's voice confirming that Jesus was his son. And Peter also talks about Jesus on that holy mountain where he was transfigured with Elisha and Moses. And he was there with James and John. And they saw Jesus partly glorified before their eyes. They got a glimpse of that glory. And that will be fully revealed when Jesus returns at the end of the age. And Peter says, I can testify to this. I saw it with my own eyes. And the second thing that Peter says, uh, which we can believe and be assured of, is that we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the disciples, when I think about the apostles and in particular today, when I think about Peter, how privileged he was to be able to walk with Jesus, to be able to speak with him, to be able to see the many miracles that he performed, to evidence the love that Jesus poured out so freely upon everyone around him the care and compassion that Jesus was able to show, the evidence that confirmed Jesus as the Son of God. Can you imagine what it would have been like to hear that voice from heaven and know that that was God speaking about this man standing before you? This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. But Peter says, don't, don't dwell on that. Don't think about that. Don't think about the fact you've missed out. This scripture that you have, you Can be assured it's reliable. And we look at the we in verse 19 here. I believe it's referring to the disciples living at that time. They are aware of and they know the life and the account of our Lord Jesus Christ. They also have access to the Old Testament scriptures. So I believe what Peter is actually saying is there are many things that are written about the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. And we walked with him. We know that he fulfilled these prophecies. We know that there were so many of these things that we knew about in the Old Testament, which Jesus said and did confirming he is the promised Messiah. He fulfilled these scriptures. And Peter says, I can confirm it because I saw it. It's like he's saying that it's even more convincing than me telling you about what I have seen because these things were prophesied about hundreds of years before. And we know there's at least 332 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. There has never been anything else written predicting outcomes which have even come close to that. Not even close. You've possibly heard the stats which have been worked out on the possibility of even eight of these old testament prophecies being fulfilled by one man that's eight professor peter stoner says for eight of these prophecies to be fulfilled by one man there's a one to the to the 10 sorry one in 10 to the 17th power chance of that actually happening that's a figure a one with 17 zeros after it that's an incredible figure and that's only for eight of these prophecies and Jesus fulfilled at least 332 if we do increase that figure to include 48 of these prophecies being fulfilled only 48 of these prophecies the chance of one man fulfilling them increases to 1 in 10 to the power of 157 or 1 with 157 zeros on the end and that's only for 48 We're talking about at least 332 prophecies. For 332 prophecies to be fulfilled, it's a work of God. There's no other explanation. And I think God did it deliberately. He wanted man to just be boggled by how incredible he is. And he did this so we can trust and believe all the Bible said. It is this story. This account of Jesus and God's plan of redemption for mankind that shines light in a very dark world. It is the lamp in a dark place. And a light in a dark place draws people. And that's exactly what this word is intended to do. And Peter says, we apostles have this word more fully confirmed. And because of that, you should pay attention This is the truth. This is a word you can believe in. It is a word you can bet your life on. It is the word spoken by God. But then Peter concludes this chapter with a warning verses 20 and 21 says knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from god as they were carried along by holy spirit and the prophet, prophetic word that peter speaks of is scripture and these last few verses is a warning to true believers about those who will twist god's word to suit their purposes There will be no prophecy that originates from man. And I don't think there's anyone who's hearing my voice today who will disagree with that statement. I think they will agree that there is no prophecy that originates from man. But let me ask you, have you ever set out to find or been attracted to someone's interpretation because it had a uniqueness that suited your purpose or your argument? Peter is saying that should set off a red flag for you. It should be something that you are more inclined to reject than accept or embrace. Think about how biblical prophecy has been revealed. It occurred over a substantial period of time, sometimes century, and it was confirmed by a diverse group of men. It wasn't by one individual. And Peter has said in 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12, that even the prophets didn't understand fully what they were writing but they wrote to benefit those who were living at the time of Christ and those who would come after that. If this is how God used his prophets, revealing his plan through many, how arrogant is someone who believes that they have an exclusive word from God? For me and my household, I would much rather stand upon God's established word written in his scriptures, written in the Bible, for which countless godly men and women have suffered and died than to believe something that is even slightly counter to what Scripture says and presented by someone with questionable motivations. The prophets of old did not create or bring forth the word of God. They were instruments of God. Men who believed in God and his promise to redeem mankind and they were pursuing him, they were looking for him, they were trusting in the coming Messiah. And when they wrote, it was not their will. It was not what they wanted, but it was God's will and what he wanted. And they were used to speak or write what God had instructed them to. Therefore, our lives, our declaration of God's will and purpose, our interpretation of scripture are not subject to man's will and purpose, but all that is said must be subject to scripture. Peter says, Be wary of anyone who says anything differently. When I think about Peter and the way he is written in this letter, I can't help but think about the conversations that he had with Jesus when Jesus first said to him that he was actually going to die. I'm not sure if you remember that, but when Jesus spoke about his coming death, Peter pushed back quite forcefully. He said, may it never be, Lord. Peter wanted Jesus to establish a kingdom on this earth at that time. He didn't fully understand what was coming. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus, even though he was going to suffer greatly, could see what came beyond that. He could see that he would be saving mankind. And so he embraced this incredible death, this ugly death that was his because he knew what was coming. And here, Peter himself is facing death. And it's going to be a horrendous death too. But he sees it all now through the light of the gospel. And he looks forward to what is next. He looks forward to that time when he will cross from this life to the next life. But before he goes, he has this sense of urgency to continue to fulfill the mission which he has been given, the call on his life. And his purpose is to not only remind the people of his day, but also those of us who are reading his message, his letter right now. And he wants to remind us of the life transforming truths that are contained in the very word of God, our Bibles. He's facing death, but he wants to get across to us that the only thing that matters is our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And this relationship can only begin to be established on the truths contained in scripture, contained within the Bible. For those of us, who are believers and are established in the faith? Do we recognize that time is short? Do we have this stirring in our heart to be like Peter and to constantly remind the believers around us of the foundations of our faith and to push into God and to spur them on to greater work for Jesus? Because that's what we should be doing. I want to read from 1 Thessalonians 5 4 to 11. I want you to listen to these words and I ask you to make a note and reread this after the message. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 to 11. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. As others do, but let us keep awake and let us be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet of hope and salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. As believers, our lives should have God's fingerprints all over them. As Peter has indicated. Part of the call is to remind each other of the truth of the scripture. Part of the call is to spur each other on to greater works. And we should be determined as believers to make the eternal truth of primary importance and constantly put aside the call of man and the things that the world would try and entice us with. Even as Peter came to the end of his days, he was determined, even if necessary, with his last breath, to exert his energies so his efforts will live long after him. We should desire to the same. Is all we do with an eternal perspective in mind? Are we more focused on what is to come after this life than what this life would offer? I ask you today, commit yourselves afresh to God. Be determined to live for him. Be a good steward of all he has entrusted to you. And be an encourager of your fellow believers, those of faith, and particularly those here at SDBC. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is your purpose that we continually come back to your word, the basis and foundations of our faith. And Lord, my prayer this morning is for myself and for those hearing my voice, that we'll reflect on that first encounter with you, that we'll come back to that time, Lord, when our lives were transformed by you. And Lord, we won't take that for granted, the fact that you called us, And I ask, Lord, that if we've wandered from the faith, if we haven't committed ourselves to daily reading your word, to praying to you, to giving ourselves afresh to you each and every day, that you'll call us to do exactly that and that we'll have a willingness to submit to you and the promptings of Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, I pray for a groundswell of encouragers in SDBC, that there will be people who are going to get on the phones even today after they've heard my voice, Lord, to encourage someone else in the faith, that they will send text messages, that they will send emails, that they will just contact people and share your word, Lord. Father, I desire to be a man after your heart. And I desire that for all my Christian brothers and sisters at SDBC as well, that they would be pursuing you wanting to live more and more for you each and every day. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name Amen. for his sake. Amen. God bless one and all. I hope you have a great week. And seriously, if you want to engage with God's word and you're having difficulty with that, please contact me. I'd love to do Bible study with you. Uh, and I'm sure the other pastors would love to encourage you as well. But go well and uh, be encouragers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.